let's open our Bibles to, we're going to look at a bunch of verses. It was great how Robert was just all over the Bible, just turning the pages, and I love that. And this, when he was preaching the last couple weeks, Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Pastor Schaller spoke about the man with the withered hand. Remember, he comes to Jesus and, he, and Jesus says, um, in one part, one place he says, what would you want me to do for you? And this man's got a withered hand, right? He's standing in front of Jesus like, what, what would you like me to do with you? It's like, isn't that kind of obvious, my hands? <laughs> and Jesus asks. And because he, um, he is always engaging us in conversation and to apply ourselves in faith and and in one part the the man that comes to Jesus who's a who's a leper comes to him and says uh, if you will you can make me clean right and then Jesus says I will be thou clean right and then he's healed and I think that um, you know when we pray for God to answer something for healing or for direction or God's will in our life or a business or family matters, or situations in our personal life, um, we come to this we come to this fork in the road where we pray, okay, God, your will be done, right? And we, know, we all know that we've been all taught, instructed, as good Christians, to pray, your will be done, right? We get to that road, and there's that crossroad right there. It's like, okay, God will do it, or God will not do it, right? How many of you have been there? Like, okay, yeah. God... It's up to you. Your will be done. Jesus even prayed that in the garden. And what happens to us, because we are creatures that are laden with guilt, with just memories and, and just weird feelings inside of us, and, and just knowing ourselves after the flesh, we, we, at least I do, maybe you don't do this, but I have this gravitational pull to God's not going to do it. Because I'm not worthy. God does not love me. God is not for me. I'm not doing a good job in my Christianity. I should be here, and I'm here. And we just live in these weird ways of grading our spirituality. And we just we take that road that's easier to travel on, and that's the road of guilt, shame, and fear. And we just say, God's not going to do it. We don't say that. We just say, the Lord's will be done. God can do it. And we just think in, our, in, a, we, we, in the back of our mind, there is this voice that says, you are not worthy. You do not deserve that, or God does not love you, and we default to God will probably not do it. And what I want to say before I speak this message on the goodness of God is, I don't want this to be confused with the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel, believe it, receive it, that kind of thing. But why can't we talk about that and not be worried about the extreme? And like, what I want to do is I want to look at some scriptures here in the Old Testament and the New Testament that are going to help us, that help me um, believe in the goodness of God. And I just want to look at Psalm 27, verse 13 with you. And let's look at that verse together. Psalm 27, verse 13. And, and David here in this chapter is just dealing with his own personal fears, with his own inhibit, 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 inhibitions. How do you say that? Inhibit. Okay, whatever. Um, and... He's speaking to himself, and he's praying, and he's confessing faith, verse 3. Um, he is speaking in verse 4. He's seeking the Lord in verse 4 in the house of the Lord. 
Uh, he's, he's confessing in verse 5 that the protection of God, and he's going on that the Lord will be faithful. And, um, and, he's, and he goes on, and then in verse 13, um, and in verse 12, he says, he's not, God's not going to give me up to the will of my adversaries. And in verses 13 and 14, he ends the psalm with this, and let's read this together. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, something that comes to my mind sometimes is, am I a believer in the goodness of God? Like, have I set my face and my intent to focus on the goodness of God? David here is saying, I, he said, I would have fainted. It says, it says, in, one, it says in, the, in the King James, it says, I would have fainted if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of, of the living. I think that we enter into, as people, degrees of fainting, of weariness, of tiredness, of just going through the motions because it's the right thing to do, but we don't have the strength and the energy to do it. And we, we cringe when we think about it, like, okay, I made this commitment, you know, to the Lord in the body of Christ, in ever grace, or, or, or I've made this commitment to my neighbors, um, and I'm just hearing it's great to hear what God's doing with Deb, Deb and Rob, Robert's neighbors, all these ladies that are coming together. That's just really great to hear that. That's great. And I think that people are really looking for the good news of God. And what happens is, is that David said, I would have fainted if I had not believed that I shall see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And what does David say in verse 14? Wait, on, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait on the Lord. And it talks about believing in the goodness of God and in that waiting period when God comes through. And I just want to talk about this for a few minutes, but I want to use a case study, and I don't know how long this will be. Maybe it'll be two messages. Maybe it'll be four. I don't know. But I want to look at, um, I want to look at Ezra and Nehemiah, those two books. And it's not going to be an exhaustive study, but I want to look at some portions of scriptures there. Ezra and Nehemiah, these are... Um, men of God in the Old Testament that were used by God to rebuild Jerusalem. And I know that probably many of you in this room have read Ezra and Nehemiah, have studied it, but I'd like to hit a few points that are just shockingly amazing that when I read this through, I just my heart, and I was, I was so revived, and when I read this through, and a little backstory here about Ezra and Nehemiah. There's two books in our Bibles, Ezra and Nehemiah. They were actually at one point one book. And it was, uh, um, it was covering the life of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And um, Zerubbabel was a man of God that was used. Let's, let me back up a little bit more. Um, do you remember when the Israelites were taken captive into Babylon? Do you remember that? They were, in cap- they were in captivity in Babylon. That was the time of Daniel and the, the, um, the Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there was Daniel. Uh, they were Hebrews that were in the, uh, in the captivity of Babylon. They were there in the, in the courts. Some of them were in the courts of the king. Others were uh, serving outside the courts. And the people of God, were. this was a time of chastisement. This was a time of captivity because Israel had strayed from the goodness of God. When we look at the Old Testament, just before God gives the law in Exodus chapter 19, 
What does God do to the nation of Israel? God is speaking to Israel about his goodness and his faithfulness. I bore you up on the wings of eagles. I led you. I was with you in the wilderness. And when you cried out, I was there. I fed you with my own hand. And he's going on and on about his faithfulness and his goodness and how God never forsook them. And then what was Israel's response? We will obey everything you say. Wrong answer. God didn't want a servant-master relationship with Israel. He wanted, he wanted a father-son relationship with Israel. He wanted an intimate relationship with Israel. So God had to give the law, the Ten Commandments, to prove to Israel, you can't maintain this relationship. That's why it's all me. And that's why I preface this conversation, God says to Israel in Exodus 19, in those chapters, just before the law is given, because it's, it's my faithfulness. And the book of Galatians brings all that out in detail. But so God, bring, God takes the nation of Israel into captivity. They're being chastised. They've lost their freedom because they've lost their sight of the goodness of God. And they've gone after other gods. And they're, now they're in captivity. The point, one point here that I can make is, is, what is sin? Sin is whenever we are missing the mark. What's the mark? The mark is the nature and the character of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. Anytime in Romans chapter 14 that we stray in our mind from the goodness and the faithfulness of what God is and who, what he's done for us, we are functioning outside of faith. And whatever is not a faith in Romans chapter 14 is sin. I'm missing the mark. Sin is not just going, okay, I'm doing that bad thing or thinking this bad thing. Those are all symptoms of me taking my eyes off of the goodness and the veracity of God, right? That's when Israel goes a-whoring. They're going after other gods. They're intermarrying with other people because they can't trust God for the covenant that he made with them. Am I, are you following me? Like, is this clear? Okay, so sin here in the eyes of God is when we take our eyes off of the goodness and the holiness and the beautifulness of God. You know, today this word holiness it's like a cringeworthy word now, isn't it? Like you say holiness, everybody's like, oh my gosh. And you know why? But in the Old Testament, one of the men of God talk about the holiness of God as being the beauty of holiness. How can holiness be beautiful? When we understand that God is good and his plan is good and all he does is good, then we can trust him for every negative situation that happens in our life. That's why, I can, that's why I can look at what's happening on politics and just not be, not be freaked out and just angry. I mean, I read what's happening in our country and I just get angry. And I, and I just have to believe that God, that God is sovereign, as it was said earlier, that we can pray and respect those that are, that are in leadership, that are, that are leading our country. Pray for them. But you know something? Israel is in captivity because they took their eyes off of the grace and the character of God and, and, and that what God began in the spirit it would, could not be completed in the flesh, like it says in the book of Galatians. Israel was in captivity in Babylon because they were, they were in a place where they had forgotten about the goodness of God. Whenever you and I forget about the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God in our life, whenever we forget that, we're going to start wandering. We're going to start wandering after things that just cannot give us that satisfaction. Um, four things I, I just want to say to you before we get into Ezra and Nehemiah and that, that whole story is that we live in a world that functions under the, cur the curse of Adam. 
Remember when Adam and Eve stopped, when they, when they left the tree of life and they started eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Um, what happened was is that God cursed the ground and God, a curse entered into, the, into creation. And Adam was told by God that by the sweat of your brow, you shall, you, the, the, you shall work and the, and the earth will give forth its fruit. A brand new law came into creation. Work and get. Work and get. Cause and effect. Sweat and, and reap. Um, uh, it's a whole merit system. And if you work hard, it'll, it'll, um, you'll bear fruit. And, and the second thing is the devil, the devil has capitalized on that curse and has created a caste system in our society. Those that have and those that have not. And you can see it in the woodlands, right? Drive around like, you know. Those that got the F-150s and those that got the F-250s and the F-350s. You know, like, I'm, I'm, I drive a truck and just bear with me here. I drive a truck and, you know, when you, I, I like my truck. I enjoy it. It's a blessing from the Lord. And but when a 250 drives by, you know, it's higher. And the mirrors are higher. The windows are higher. And I'm looking, I'm, you know, I'm looking up, right? And then a 350 drives by and they're higher than the 250. It's like we've li- we live in this caste system, don't we? We live in like, what neighborhood do you live in? Well, I live in Carlton Woods. Okay, what, where do you live? I, would in, I live in Wood Glen. You know, like there's this whole caste system. And this whole system is created this way because we live now in a world that's, that, it is, that the whole system is created on, on merit and working hard. And the devil has capitalized that. And number three, in God's kingdom, in God's economy, nothing works by the energy of the flesh. And this is what was being said um, a couple weeks ago by Robert in, in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, um, that anything that we try to do in the energy of our flesh to please God is a dead work. It just means it's dead. It's like, it's like giving birth to something that's not living. It, it does not move. It does not breathe. It, does not, it is not joyful. It does not bring joy. It does not bring pleasure. It's just wow. dead. It is unanimated. It just, there's no power in it. There's no resurrection in it. And the fle- because the flesh profits nothing. I, I, you know, in Christianity, when we bring this kind of thinking in, and we can actually do that here in Evergrace. We can say, well, if we, did, if we did this more, if we did that more, this could happen, that could happen. You know, we, it, this has seeped into the church as a whole in America that, that if we work harder and do more and do this and do that, and there's more program, the, the flesh can rejoice in that, and the flesh can point at that and say, look, that's what we're doing. But the flesh profits nothing in John 6.63. And therefore, we don't have any confidence in the flesh. We don't have any confidence in the flesh. And that's Philippians 3, verse 3. Paul is talking to the Philippians. He said, we don't have any confidence in the flesh. Like, that's cool. That's great. And I bet we could make something happen if we, if we did things in the energy of the flesh, the pizzazz, the flashy flesh, or, you know, the, all of that, that that is in the flesh. But you know what? The flesh doesn't heal anybody. The flesh doesn't set anybody free from addictions. The flesh doesn't. The flesh cannot bring hope and joy and peace in a person that's struggling with depression. The flesh can't do anything. The flesh can manipulate the flesh. You know, the flesh can can make a person stop smoking or or stop taking drugs. Or the flesh can produce a system that will make you know behavioral modifications on the outside. But the flesh can't change the heart. You know, if you are unhappy, if we are unhappy about something that's in our heart that's not right. The flesh can't change that. And number four, the fourth thing is that God's grace gives him the most glory. Wow. Let, me, let me just 
park on that for a second. This is what I want to just, this is the main point I want to just say this morning. Is that nothing gives more glory to God than his grace. And why is that like that? Because, and there's plenty of, of scripture here that, that I'd like to, I could point to, but God's grace gives him the most glory. Why is that? Because more than anything, it stops us in our flesh from trying to produce anything in the old way under Adam. Meaning like, okay, if I just could do this more for God, if I could just have more Hail Marys, like I remember living in, in Catholic Poland, people would come to the priest ridden, guilt-ridden with their sin, and, and they would come to the priest and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned, and, the father, and, and I've never done that, so I don't know what the priest says after that, but I think he says something like, you know, what did you do, or I don't know what, how that goes. But I know at one point there is, a, there is this thing that you are supposed to do, and this is supposed to relieve you from your sin and bring in, and bring in forgiveness, and, and, and um, you're no longer under the guilt of that sin. And that's like Hail Marys, right, and prayer beads, and do this, right? Hail Mary 45 times or something. And do that, and you're going to be good. I think our flesh would like to have something to do that would make us feel better about ourselves, and that could, that could um, invoke the favor of God in our life. What I want to say is that the favor of God is already on your life. It's already on you. It's on the, the body of Christ. It's because Christ is in us. It's not something that we can, that we can make happen more, more favor in our life. God's grace gives him the most glory more than anything. Ephesians 1, chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Uh, It's a very good thing that God designs his glory to be magnified through the exercise of his grace. We see this in the Old Testament. And I'm going to wrap this up in a minute. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says this that we should experience God's grace so that, the, that God gets the glory. So this is what the verse says. Therefore, the Lord awaits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait on him. Isaiah 30, verse uh, 18. Okay. Now, is grace tolerance for sin? Is grace kind of winking at sin like, oh, you know... I didn't see that. You, you're, you, you mean good, but you know your good works outweigh your bad works. No. God is the God of justice. And before he could love us, before love could be free to be exercised on us unconditionally, there had to be a massive sacrifice. There needed to be a payment for sin. There, there was a penalty for sin that existed before God could be free to love us. And where did that happen? We know where that happened, right at the cross of Christ. Christ bore the full brunt of God's wrath and anger on him because of the joy that was set before him. Because God so loved the world, he sent his son. And Jesus Christ became the sacrifice of all the sins of you and I in the world, all the iniquity. And what is iniquity? Iniquity is just mental attitude sin. It's when I'm sinning in my mind. Maybe I'm not acting it out, but I'm, it's in my mind. It's anger. It's, it's, it's jealousy. It's all of this stuff. God forgives the iniquity of our sin. And, and if God was to count sin, who would stand in Psalm, 30, in Psalm 32? God had, there had to be a bloody, uh, gory cross for there to be such beautiful holiness and, and, the, and the exercise of God's grace. 
So God is a God of justice. And for God to be able to love us, there needed to be a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is an eternal sacrifice. That's something that I'm looking at every day. I'm looking at that every day. Because Christ was crucified, because Christ suffered and died, because he was separated from his Father at the cross. And we don't understand that because it's a trinity. And how can the trinity be separated from each other? But in some mysterious way, in God's, in God's wisdom and in God's ways, there was that separation. And Christ experienced what an eternity without his Father would feel like. Because Christ didn't live in moments. He lived in, et- in eternity. So when Jesus said, like, Father, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't experiencing that just for a few minutes. That wasn't because Christ is eternal. He actually spent, he actually felt what it meant. He felt on his body what it meant to be separated from God for eternity. He understood that. He knew what that felt like because he's eternal. He was, that was an eternal moment at the cross. And, you know, when we hear that, we understand that grace is not cheap. I know some writers, I know Bonhoeffer talked about a cheap grace. But you know something, and I'm not saying this against him. I'm just saying that grace is not cheap. It's extremely expensive. It is so precious. And true grace, when we observe it for a moment, we're like Paul. You know, we fall off our horse. We're blinded. We're like, man, I've never seen anything like this before. And then something comes into our life, and, and, it, and, it, and it just pre- creates this sensitivity in our life that, that oh, God, that, that, that sin was so terrible and so destructive that it just destroyed your son like that on the cross. How could I even think or say this thing against you and, and hurt you and grieve you? And it brings in this sensitivity because we understand the justice of God. And God is just, by the way. If you seek him, if you seek him with your whole faith, whole heart, your whole faith, he is just and you will find him. And we'll see that in the life of Ezra next time we talk about this. In the New Testament, we see this verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 12, so that the name, and this is the second part of the, Paul here is praying, he's talking to the Thessalonian church, and he's praying, and he's saying that may this happen, may God do this in your life by his power, and then so that, but whenever you see the word so that in the New Testament, it's purpose clause, meaning I'm saying all of this to say this, this is the purpose of why I'm saying all of this, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be modified, modified, I'm sorry, glorified in you that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, how? According to the grace of our Lord and our Savior, uh, the grace of our God and and the Lord Jesus Christ. What the devil wants to do with any amazing, powerful word in the New Testament is to lower it down to some lower meaning. And so like I know maybe... In recent times, in the 70s and the 80s, there was a real grace revival. But I think that um, we have to have a true understanding of what grace truly is. And when we understand that, then we become believers in the goodness of God. And fainting in our life stops. I think if you've been through a lot of hardship, a lot of hard times, a lot of hard things have happened to you, it's hard to believe in the goodness and the kindness of God. The goodness and kindness of God in Romans chapter 2 leads us to repentance. We have no capacity to repent unless we see the goodness and the kindness of God. That leads us to repentance. It's the goodness and the forbearance of God that leads us to repentance. And so in the New Testament, we see that the purpose clause, the eternal purpose clause here in Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian church was that the name of Christ 
would be glorified in them according to the grace of God. Glorification of Christ cannot happen in our life unless it's happening by the grace of God. Okay, Grace means that I'm not able to do anything. Grace means that I need to humble myself and understand that it's not according to my works. And my flesh sometimes is going to be compelled to do something for God. It's going to want to do something for God, and then I'm going to feel better about myself. And you know something? Christianity is filled with that. People with sincere motives that want to do something great for God. And it's just sometimes, and I can't say anything about it. God will show us. God will show us. And I'm not asking you to be morbidly introspective, but God's going to show us what is the energy of our flesh. And he's going to, and he's going to systematically deconstruct the whole faith pattern that we have in our flesh. And that could take decades. <laughs> it took 40 years for Moses, didn't it? And I want to close with this. Um, what is the Christian life? What is Christian living then? What does that mean for us? What does it mean? And I know this sounds really basic, but Christian living, I, I like what Romans chapter 7, verse 6 says. It says, but now we are released from the law. Okay? Those, those commandments that were given to Israel to prove to them that they're not able to obey those Ten Commandments, that they needed a Savior. They needed someone to come in, in Romans chapter 7 and fulfill that law. And Christ has done that. He's fulfilled the whole law. And now what is there for us to do? Well, it says in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, we are released from the law so that we can live lawlessly, so we can go crazy and live in, in any impulse of the flesh. No. Having died to that which held us captive. By the way, whenever we live in the flesh, we're living under the law because the flesh can never fulfill the law. Like whenever, you know, the law was given to the lawless. God, the law was given for the lawless. And it's like, you know, when we live in the flesh and the lusts of the flesh, then we are serving something. We're serving a law. We're serving something that we can, that is never going to fulfill us. Having died to that which is, has held us captive. And that holds us captive. When you and I live in the, in the flesh and we live Uh, The good flesh or the bad flesh, the religious flesh, which is trying to please God and to get God's favor, or the bad flesh, which is, I can't get God's favor. No matter what I do is never enough, so I'm just going to live crazy in the world. Those two lives always lead to captivity. It leads to bondage. It leads to to no joy and leads to destruction. It says here in Romans 7, verse 6, Having died to that which held us captive, we've died so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Look, I, 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 we do what we do here. I'm not pastoring this church because there's some written code that i got to do this. I'm not here because I'm here for brownie points with God. I'm not here to get a good paycheck because that's not happening. I'm not here to do, I'm not here to ingratiate favor from people. I'm not here, I'm here because of the newness of the Spirit of life. There's something in my heart when I pray and I'm like, God, would you do something in Magnolia? God, would you do something in the woodlands? Would you do something new and fresh and powerful? Would you set people free from the addictions of the flesh? Would you set people free from, from, from depression and from fear? Would you set people free from the fear of death? These are, these are my prayers. Would you set our neighbors free from the, 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 the the contradiction of having a beautiful house but having a poor soul. God, would you set us free from these things and God, give us this. We may serve in the newness of spirit not in the old way of the written code. Because if I was here, because I was, you know, it's expected of me or, or whatever, if I had some other lower motive other than the love of Christ, 
then I wouldn't last. I'd be, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be back in New England. I don't know. I mean, there's nothing in New England. I was just there. And I was like, there's nothing here. <laughs> I don't want to go. I mean, I don't want to be here at all. I mean, it's just a weird place, weird people. Just the whole, I mean, it's just, it's just really nuts. It's just a crazy place up there. I want to close with this. I want to give you, um, I want to give you um, six verses about the new life that we have in Christ. This life in the goodness of God. Believing in the goodness of God. I want to believe. And it's not I want to believe. I was thinking about this this morning. It's not me trying to believe. It's God has put desires in our heart. God has put desires in our heart for our neighborhood. God has put desires in our heart for our city. God has put desires in our heart for our nation. And God has put desires in our heart for our family, for our kids. God has put those desires in our heart to serve. God has put those desires in our heart to take an adventure of faith on a mission field or to walk across the street and meet my neighbor. God has put that in our heart. And it's the goodness of God that wants to be revealed to a world that's living in such bad news. 1 Peter 4, verse 11, it says this, Serve in the strength that God provides in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. When we serve in the strength that God gives us, Christ is glorified. May you, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. You know, God is glorified when we bear, bear fruit. God wants us to bear fruit. God wants to bless our marriage. God wants to bless our personal life. God wants to bless us physically. And when we live bearing fruit, God is glorified. Because there's two things that God gave Adam before he fell. Be fruitful. Bear fruit in your life. And I think that's God's will in our life. God wants to bless whatever we're involved with. And number two, multiply. He wants to bless our marriages. He wants to bless our relationships. He wants us to reproduce spiritually and physically. And this is, this is God's will. Uh, number three, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15. It is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. As God's grace is 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 revealed then there's thanksgiving there's praise there's worship uh, we have seen his glory in john 1 verse 14 glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth okay see grace is not just this word that is this human word it's this glorious high beautiful word not only that in second corinthians 8 verse 19 but he has, appointed, he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. And lastly, Ephesians 1 verse 6, the praise of his glorious grace that which has blessed us in the beloved. I want to close with this practical application. Let's stop trying to please God. Let's stop trying to evoke favor from God. Let's try to let's stop trying to get favor from the world. Says you got to work hard and get favor. God just says in John chapter six, believe on me, believe on me. Who? But Peter said, what's the work of God? Like we're looking for favor here. We want to feel good about ourselves. Jesus says, believe on him who God has sent. That is favor. And when we live that way, um, we're not when we're at the fork of the road. We're not. We're not gravitating towards this like God's not going to do it. I don't want to presume that God's going to do it. But I want to like, if I'm going to land somewhere, like God's not going to do it. God's, God, God's going God's to do it. 
I want to land on this because why and why default to the thing God's not going to do it? Let's just believe like I want to believe that I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land yes. that I live in. I want to see God's going to bless it. Am I am I after blessing? Am I after riches? No, I'm not. I just want to see the pure grace of God. I want to see something in my life that I don't deserve. I want to live in something that I don't deserve. And that's the grace life. When you live in the grace life, you're living a life that you're like, man, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And I'm going to just close with this teaser verse for next Sunday. This is what, this is what Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 2, verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Yes. The good hand of God is upon this church. The good hand of God is on, this, uh, is on your family. Good, the good hand of God, whether you feel like you deserve it or not, is on you. And it's not something that we have to try to... And then verse 18, he said, And I told them of the hand of my God... That had been told that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, What do they say? Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. You know, when we talk about the goodness and the grace of God, it encourages people. And people get a capacity to build, get people get a capacity to work. And we're not telling people what to do. You know? God's not telling people what to do, He's telling them who they are and who God is. And when that happens, we just get this vision for our life that we didn't have before. Like, man, when, we, when I was in New England, um, my son had fallen asleep in the car. And, you know, I was running errands. Um, and I was meeting up with my family later that day. And my son had fallen asleep in the truck. So I decided I'm just going to drive around until he wakes up. You know, and just because I don't want to move him. I want him to have his nap. So what I did was I drove around this town that I grew up in, and I drove around these different places I, where I worked when I was 14. My first job I had when I was 14 years old, I looked at the high school. I looked at some of the places I'd lived in. I was driving around, and I remember, I remember thinking as a teenager, God, could you give me a dream? Could you give me something that is so much bigger than me? Because I'm going to perish in this town. I'm going to perish in this little New England town where... And I was saying to my wife, I was like, I felt like a kid that was born, like, in the wrong, I did, that I didn't belong here, that I, didn't, that, that I didn't belong in the school I went to. I just felt like I was something, I was made for something different. I was made for something better. I remember driving through the old apartments that we lived at in the, in the ball field across the street that I would go to sometimes to sit down in the bleachers and just pray as a 16-year-old, God, just do something in my life. And then I remember the train tracks. I was always walking in train tracks. We got these train tracks not far from our apartment. I remember walking up and those, down those train tracks thinking you know, about a mission trip that I was going to take when I was 17. And just thinking, God, would you do something? And I remember praying for a dream. And that dream that would come by just seeing the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And then I drove from our apartment to the church that we were going to in Maine. We lived on the border of, of Maine and New Hampshire. So you know, it was just a couple minute drive and you were in Maine. And I remember driving, just taking that, that road. It was every, I know everything seems smaller when you go visit your, your, where you grew up. Everything looks so small. And I remember as I was driving, looking at some of, the, um, some of the familiar sights, and I remember looking at it and just remembering how my heart just sped up and beat faster when I was driving towards the church. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, because the church was a place where we had a youth group that was just, it wasn't big, it was just a small handful of, like us here. And I just remember we had a team leader who was really nerdy, was just a goofy guy, just, you know, but he spoke to us like that God had a plan for our lives. 
And I just remember driving there and just thinking, you know, there is something good about God. And God has something really awesome for me. I heard it this week. I think one of the ladies that, my, that works with my wife said it this way. I want to believe in the goodness of God that, the, that the, the rest of my life is going to be the best of my life. Amen. That the best is yet to come in your lives. You know, the, the Valles are moving back to Baltimore at some point. The best of the best of the Valles life is going to be, as you guys haven't seen it yet, you know, the Marquez family. I believe the best is yet to come. The Speedy family, the Legia family, the Rousseau family. I believe, I believe every one of us, the best is yet to come in our life. And I'm not saying this for positive, optimistical, but I'm believing that the Lord has something very beautiful for us in Evergrace. In, in this coming fall, in this coming, you know, and there's a great door that's open. There's a great door that's open, and there's many adversaries. And I, just, I, I was with Pastor Shower. He took me into his office. And you guys know that the city of Baltimore shut down our church, right, because of COVID. And um, we just, well, we refused to shut down. And so there, he's got this picture of, of what the city, and now everything's good. We're a good relationship with the city. We're on the same page, and there's this big yellow sign that said, um, I can show it to you afterwards. It's like uh, the, the, the city of Baltimore um, Health Department um, has closed GGWO because of COVID concerns or whatever. It's a big yellow sign, right? And I went to Pastor Schaller's office, and he had that sign up right next to, next to his ordination you know, certificate. All the certificates, and then there was that COVID thing. The church is closed. <laughs> and it was funny. And then he... He goes to his office and he comes out of his, his back room and he shows me this T-shirt that he made. And he said, this is not Greater Grace Paraphernalia. This is just personally, I made this for myself. Had it made for me. And it was a green T-shirt and it had that big yellow sign, you know, like on the front of it, you know, GGW is closed. And, and on the back of it, he had this verse, a great and effectual door has been opened unto us, but there are many adversaries. The point is this, is that the goodness of God, it seems like, as a believers during this COVID time, it's been such a good time for us. And, and so many wonderful things have happened to us during this hard time. But let's not take our eyes off the goodness of God because there are adversaries. Adversaries are going to come and adversaries are going to go. And, it's, and let's not dwell on it. But let's just, unless we faint, we, uh, unless we look at the goodness of God, we're going to faint, we're going to quit, and we're just going to say, you know, this is not worth it. And so I just want to ask us, Let's pursue the goodness of God. Let's search for the goodness of God and believe that because that is what gives God um, great glory. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's, let's close in prayer.